Welcome to the Photoethics Podcast. I'm your host, Savannah Dodd, and I'm the founder of the Photography Ethics Center. Each week, I'll be talking with an accomplished photographer about the ethics of their practice. Today, in episode number 11, we'll be talking with Taha Ahmad about working with historical trauma. Taha Ahmad is a documentary photographer based in Delhi. He was born in Lucknow in 1994, and he developed an interest in documentary photography while pursuing his bachelor's degree. He feels photography has a strong influence in creating and developing discourse for the future. Taha's work represents the shift in the pluralistic landscape, the traumatic past, and the culture which is threatened by religious conflicts, social injustice, politics, and the times we live in. we start by just telling me a little bit about the kind of work that you do? Yeah, so I'm a visual artist based in India and I usually work on long-term black and white photography projects which evolves from my memory sometimes, sometimes you know the region of Awadh where I was born and brought up so uh, a lot of times my projects evolve from the history of that region, from the culture of that region And I usually work on a very long period of time. Let's say, you know, most of my projects take years of practice to finally get developed or, you know, to take a shape. You know, something that I've been doing a lot more in a lot of my work is looking at archival photographs. Can you tell me maybe a little bit about how you approach using archival photographs and if there are any ethical considerations that have come up as part of of that practice? Because, for example, here in Northern Ireland, I'm working with a lot of photographs of people in traumatic situations. um, And there are maybe many, also a lot of government sensitivities about what I, you know, what is viewable. Um, So do you have anything like that that comes up in your work? Uh, So, yeah, recently I started a work which was based on the partition of India and Pakistan that happened during the time of 1947. It is known as the, you know, the largest displacement that has ever happened in the history of mankind. I recently was reading a book by Urvashi Butalia called The Other Side of Silence. And that motivated me to work on this project, uh, which actually, you know, the idea was that I read a lot of textual things about the partition. There were a lot of texts, there were a lot of, uh, you know, literature, both fiction and non-fiction, which was written about partition. Then there are a lot of, you know, uh, oral history records family histories, but there have been hardly any visual records about the partition. Most of the visual records that we have are the pictures that have been shot by the photojournalist who were on the field while the partition was taking place. But after that, there was no visual records that what happened once the country was divided. What was the aftermath of it? What were the repercussions of that? So in this project, I used a lot of uh, photographic, you know, old family album photographs and archives from the families itself because, you know, that was of very much importance to me because there were people, you know, who were in the photographs but were actually killed during the massacre or were killed during the partition. Then there were family members, you know, there were families who were facing identity crisis. For example, half of the family went to Pakistan and, you know, they, you know, they became Muslims and the half of the Muslim family, you know, who remained in Pakistan, they have to hide their identities. 
so these are the places where i've used a lot of uh, archives then there were interviews for which i dig deep into the newspaper archives of people the old photographs i use like archival imagery in a lot of forms in my work it's not just limited to family photographs or state archives or and yes i completely understand that it is troublesome because you know somewhere or the other most of the facts of the partition of india and pakistan were erased from the textual history that we read today almost 70% of it you know we read about that displacement happened we read about independence we read about you know so we knew that all of these things happened but you know the textual history it only tells it about you know the factual data that around 1 million people were displaced or you know how many people were killed or you know that this country happened these were the leaders but what about the history of the people what about you know the the family histories the history of migration so you know uh, nobody talks about you know the mass rapes or that took place what about the mass killings that were you know especially of the women and girls of the family that were done by the family members itself just because they wanted to save the honor of their family and of their religion so like nobody talks about these things and uh, uh, you know even nobody talks about you know the family history or the houses that were left behind the memories and this is how you know this is actually uh, the base on which you know the the formation of india and pakistan have been made so nobody talks about these things everybody talks about you know that uh, these are the two countries now who have you know become rival or you know whatever it is you know they gain independence pakistan gain independence on 14th august and india gain independence on 15th august people talk about that but what about you know the things that have been erased from the history what about the you know the what about the communities that have always been neglected the stories of you know the communities which have never come out so so nobody uh, you know put emphasis on this so i feel you know my archival material from the state archive is just limited to the factual things that have been recorded by the journalist at that time but apart from that i am more focused on family archives and you know the whatever the material i could actually get from the families itself to draw upon my research and my photographic work so yeah that's what i have been doing and and it's a very vast project i still think it will take me at least 4 5 years i was just thinking there that i think it's quite interesting what you said about how um this recognition that the state archive only contains something very specific and you have to you have to supplement that with the family archive because otherwise it's not the whole story and i was wondering if you could tell me maybe a little bit about how you gain access into those family archives and if you seek permission or if permission you feel is necessary or not necessary for maybe replicating or reusing those images especially if they're images of people who are deceased so yeah starting with it i would say of course i took the permission of these people because this is how they actually gave me you know these family albums or the letters that they have you know in their family records or you know the previous passports or whatever archival material that these families have so like i would not have been able to access because it is you know with the family so i have to take the permission and whenever i shoot any of the archival material i always shoot it in front of the family members so that they are aware what like what i am shooting or what i am scanning or which letter i am scanning on also like 
how I'm going to use it. So, for example, I tell you, I met a woman in Punjab whose name was Noop Kaur. And she was three years old while her brother was eight years old when they were separated uh, because of the partition. So, it happened, you know, they used to live in Punjab. But, uh, you know, Noop Kaur's aunt used to live in Lahore at that time. And uh, it was only India. There was no Pakistan at that time. So, her brother, along with one of her another aunt, went, you know, went to her aunt's place to actually, you know, spend some time. And then, you know, suddenly this Radcliffe line was drawn. And then, you know, it was announced over the radio that, you know, that the country has been divided into two. Uh, yeah, this happened. And then, you know, they were separated and there was no coming back. And, you know, like they almost got connected back after 68 years. So now this uh, women... Uh, Noob Kaur and his brother who lives in Pakistan, they regularly write letters to each other and, you know, they even visit each other sometimes. So I, what I did was, you know, I actually scanned one letter of Noob Kaur, which was written in Urdu by his brother. And then I actually, you know, scanned another letter which was written by Noob Kaur to her brother, which was written in Punjab, uh, Punjabi language. Uh, so I and I just put these letters together. So the importance was, you know, like, see, like even they are separated, you know, they are separated uh, through geography they are separated through border you know they are separated in terms of religion in terms of language yet they are so close so you know this was the importance and you know the and the emotions that the letters car- car- carry with themselves was very important for me to put out absolutely i think you're describing really a lot of um quite um traumatic memories that you're that you're working with and i'm sure that can be very difficult especially when you're approaching people and asking for consent to sort of go through maybe a box that they've really tucked away in the back of their closet because it's full of a lot of um, very difficult things to to engage with. And so I'm sure um, that has to be done with a lot of a lot of sensitivity. Um, and I'm sure you've probably faced a fair bit of rejection for that as well. It's, it's, it's not easy. And, you know, it's not even easy emotionally for me because, uh, you know, talking about those incidents again and again, a lot of times, you know, the eldest or the elder ones in the family, they don't want to talk about it in front of their family members because they never told their children or, you know, their generations which came after the partition about what happened with them. So, you know, sometimes the family members, they don't want to talk about it in front of the other family members. And a lot of times, you know, talking about this takes them back, you know, and it actually gives them an emotional troll and, you know, What I do is like my process is, you know, I never go and talk about it straight away or I never go, you know, I like I my process of working on all of my projects because they all are very sensitive. So it's always like, you know, first I research, I find out people, then I always go and I started living in that area itself. In the very first meeting, I was I like I never used to speak about it. I was always used to speak about the area. What are the good things? What I can see as if I'm a tourist, as if I'm a traveler. Then, you know, I used to tell them that, you know, I'm living in this area. And then they were like, oh, you are a city boy. How come you can, you know, you can travel from the city life to and come to live you know, in this village or, you know, the place uh, which has so much of trauma, then they start, you know, getting open, you know, then they start getting open or telling me things that, you know, and, I, and I'm always like, you know, a curious 
child who is you know just listening to stories so i always you know they start telling me themselves and this is how i finally make a relation with them and then i start you know asking them questions so that you know they don't feel that i'm only here just to extract the tragic memories they have but instead you know they feel that i am a curious person who is here to understand and who can feel what they at least even you know it's not correct to say that i can feel i can never feel what these person face but at least you know i can just have an essence or a part of what they felt or what they have gone through at the time of partition and then a lot of other times what i do is i always try to befriend the you know the people who are of my age in the area itself then i go around playing cricket with them and then with this project i also started teaching a lot of you know uh, children english near the border areas because these were from these families and then you know i when i met these families they said are like you know they said in hindi aap shehar se ho so it means you are from city you know english you are educated can you you know can you do a little bit of counseling of our children you know we don't want them you know just to stay here all their lives we want them to do something in their life so i start teaching them you know i start counseling them and slowly and slowly i gain the trust of these families and of these people and this is how i get access and and i never shoot also like any of my projects i just don't go and shoot you know i know that i work on long term projects i have ample of time so like even if i'm not shooting for let's say 2 weeks it doesn't matter to me for what matters to me is that i'm able to get the real truth out of it so yeah for me relations and honesty are very important that a person should share with their subjects in order to get you know the real truth behind the story they are working absolutely and um i i know you put a real emphasis in your work on doing a lot of background research and i think that's really um really important but also really interesting because you are working on the the country that you grew up in so you have already so much background knowledge but the fact that you you feel the need to to further explore that and to to put in the time i think is quite admirable because i think it can be very easy to think oh I'm from here. I know what's going on. You know, I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about about how you view that research process and why that's important to you. For me, research is very important because even this, you know, uh, this in this lockdown that happened because of COVID during the five months uh, that I spent here in my hometown, I've been only researching and reading about partition of India. So they have, you know, written a lot of partition literature, you know, both fiction and non-fiction. So I've been reading about that. Then, you know, there was this newspaper that I, this newspaper archive that I got from the British Library. so you know i took out uh, the interviews from those newspapers because you know all these incidents they never happened you know just in a day or a two these were actually you know this was actually the result of the events that were taking place since march 1947 so uh, i feel research is very important because you know all of as i said if i would have just read the history which is in our textbook or i would have read only the things that are on the internet i wouldn't have been able to find uh, you know so much about these communities so much about you know the family history of the people so uh, and uh, without your research you won't be able to find the facts i feel the facts are also very important in such projects you know this is something which act 
which not just you know challenges the you know the younger generation or the communities you know uh, irrespective of religion caste creed living in india it is something which also challenges the government so you know if you are putting out something out you know in front of the world your facts should be correct so i feel you know ethically a person should have their facts right they shouldn't ma- manipulate any factual events so for that you know research is very important also i feel research is very important to gain access because once you know the history the background of a particular person of or of a particular community it's very important for you to go and speak to them in their own language because you know how these people are what their culture is so it's very easy for you to gain access so it's not just about you know uh, that you're going to get a good project or you're you're going to write something you know which people haven't you know written before or it's not that you know you're going to make a big project or you know you're going to it's not about that it's it's all about you know research is also something which is which actually becomes a part of your process it is something which actually you know which actually leads you to a particular idea it is something which decides you know how are you going to execute it how are you going to gain access so it is you know it is actually one of the most major part of the workflow so this is why i put a lot of emphasis on uh, you know uh, research also i feel you know research doesn't only include the historical artifacts or the archives it also includes literature literature you know uh, it actually gave me a lot of understanding about the partition both fiction and non fiction you know to it's it's you know it's this is why research is important because when the when a person knows about the roots of you know their work roots about you know uh, their own family or you know the roots about the family of the subject and the background of the subject you know they have a better understanding of the kind of work they are going to produce and what impact the work could make when it is out in front of the world so i feel this is why research is very important absolutely and i love the point as well that you make about how it's not just, you know, textbook, it's also um, literature, it's also news stories, it's also all these other sources that you can draw on. Um, because like you said, you know, it's sort of the same thing as the the official archive, you know, you'll get a certain story from from different sources. And so sort of triangulating that by going to multiple, multiple formats, multiple sources, I'm sure is very, very useful in your work. Finally, could you tell me um, what does photography ethics mean to you? Oh, photography ethics, uh, I would say like, especially for me, I'm like, it might differ from person to person again. Another photographer you interview or you inquire might have, you know, a very different perspective to it. But for me, it's, it's like, it's kind of, you know, the morals that I live my daily life with or it is you know the morals upon which you know we lay the foundation of our daily lives and i feel you know ethics again differ from place to place work to work and situation to situation and uh, i feel foot in like while working on you know uh, a photography project it's always important to preserve the dignity of your subject do not photograph them in the ways that are either you know uh, exploitative or which predates on their vulner- uh, vulnerabilities 
and there might be situations when the subject might not want to get photographed and then it's the sole responsibility of me as a photographer to you know to make sure that the honor of the subject is preserved like we should always try to convince them if it is very important for our work and if still the subject you know insist we shouldn't do it and uh, yeah a lot of photographers as i uh, like uh, as i've spoken before give false hope to the subject for a better future and so i feel you know uh, as photographers we shouldn't you know carry this practice on and these false hope you know these also include monetary assistance medical aid housing job opportunities as well as the solution to their daily lo- uh, lives with the help of you know the government body or the photographer itself i feel this is something which a lot of times of photographers also do just to gain the access they give false hope to uh, you know to their subjects that you know they're going to or they say that they're going to do justice to them i don't feel any photographer can do justice to a particular community or to the particular subject they are working upon they can what they can do is on is that they can bring out the story of the subject they can shed light on you know how the conditions of the subject is or what all the problems uh, you know that is existing in the society or the social injustice that is you know that is persisting i don't think so any photographer can do justice it's always about bringing out the stories it's always about awareing the society that what all exists i also feel as a photographer there are particular situations where i always abide by what my heart says than my mind or you know my greed to create an image which again could be you know could be i'm saying an award winning picture or you know could uh, get me publications or recognitions so while i was working on this project and i was shooting uh, like in delhi uh, in the okla ghat it was i remember it was winters and i went there before the sunrise it was 6 am and as soon as i reached there started clicking photographs a person approached me uh, he caught hold of my hand and he started dragging me and he was like come 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 with me so for a moment i resisted but then again you know he insisted so i decided yes let's go and see what he wants to show me and when i went there i saw there was a huge rock and he just lifted the rock and under the rock i saw you know a crushed body of a young you know girl child which was you know crushed by the rock so that was something which actually you, you know shook me from you know from my head to toe and like i have read and i knew and i still know that even in the suburbs and the rural areas of india especially in the villages there is a great importance for a male child and people kill if a women child is born inside the house i knew that you know this was a girl child which which was which must have born to a family and they you know they just brought the girl child and crushed it so uh, yeah when i saw this you know my mind was like you know this is a picture what i need to make this can be you know an iconic picture which could bring me in front you know uh, like which could get me a front page of all the newspapers all the magazines but there were two things first of all you know i didn't find it ethical because my heart was saying that you know like the girl child even in her death was so vulnerable that and you know 
it's tough for me also you know to explain but you know my heart wasn't allowing me to photograph that and eventually i didn't you know i stood there for a long time thought about it continuously you know i was like you know on one hand i was like do it then i was like no it's not good you know it's not good to photograph anyone in such a situation when you know when the dead body is when the body of the dead is so vulnerable and also the second point was you know i feel that india is a great country it's a diverse nation and every nation has you know good or bad parts of it so i feel you know just to reflecting about of something that uh, actually depicts the dark side of a society i feel it's more important for me to understand that why that incident happened why people do it it's not just about people want to do it it's very tough for a father or a mother to kill their own child but you know it's the society that leads to it it's about the things that exist in our society for example the dowry system that have been imposed by the society upon the people that makes you know these parents believe that a girl child is a liability that is responsible for such incidents it's not the country which is responsible it's not the parents who are responsible it's not you know the elder or the younger generation or the people who makes up the indian society who are responsible it's it's you know it's the patriarchy it's the it's the society which is responsible collectively on whole irrespective of caste creed religion or community so i felt that you know irrespective of doing this if i would try to understand that why this problem exists and if i could go back try to do something on it even if i do not want to you know work on such a subject if i could go back and you know just even on my assignment just go and make people aware tell them that how things exist and like even if i would talk to them in their own language i would say you know you how will you be able to take your generations forward if there are no women men cannot you know bear a child in their womb so you know it's it's about these things it's about rather than you know just putting a picture out to the world and getting published which actually you know shames up my great country which i'm proud of so i feel you know these were the two things that stopped me from taking that photograph i think that that's a really interesting point as well that you made about how um there are these sort of shocking photographs we could take but that doesn't really talk about you know why and maybe maybe it's not about taking the shocking photograph but it's about exposing sort of um deeper things that run through society so i think that that's a really useful point and as as well i wanted to ask you um if we could unpack one of the points that you made um in terms of asking for consent because you were talking about you know how we should convince people and try to convince people if they if they say no and i was just wondering does that not risk um because obviously there's quite a power structure there as well right so when you're coming into a situation as a photographer you have a lot more power than the people that you're photographing so i was just a little bit um wondering if you could maybe unpack that a little bit what you mean when you say convincing and and w- how you can do that in a way that's ethical and that doesn't pressurize people to do something that they're not comfortable with so uh, again talking about the consent i would say it's very similar to ethics it differ from assignment to assignment place to place project to project uh, 
I work on long term projects. So always the first two or three months are very difficult. But I feel, you know, when you are in a person's space again and again for such a long time from morning till afternoon, you share your story, you know, whatever experience with them, they share theirs with yours and they knew that you understand it. It becomes, you know, something as if of a mutual understanding, you become a part of the community of the family, then this barrier of, you know, uh, consent or this barrier of, uh, you know, mm, trust issues doesn't exist. Is that not quite dangerous sometimes? It is. It again, it uh, depends, you know, on the intention of the person who have entered, you know, the private space of these people or or any particular community, uh, like gaining their trust and then, you know, breaking their trust and doing something which is not good for the society. It, it, it actually, you know, see, honestly speaking, if a person does that, the society won't be able to do anything about it it's been done and dusted but then you know it's about the repercussions which follows it's about you know if then any person approaches the community who is really honest who really wants to do something for the society he would never be able to you know uh, gain that trust of the community because you know they have already already been hurt and betrayed so i feel it you know it becomes very important for any genuine person also to gain trust uh, like even this in this small career of mine like it's been only five and a half years i've started photography but it's just about you know the people i have met and uh, the people i have worked with they have been such amazing people and the experience that i've had with them like i have plenty of stories to tell and it's not just about my experiences and stories, you know, to tell or, you know, just to, again, I would say, you know, to garner an audience who would listen to me. But in fact, the all of these things have also shaped up me as a person and my ideology and now I, how I look up to things which are very sensitive in nature. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Photoethics Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to share new insights about photography ethics with others. So if you heard something you liked, please share this podcast with someone who would appreciate it. The links to all things mentioned in this episode number 11 are available in the show notes at www.photoethics.org. Join me next week when we hear from David Degner on the choices we make. If you're enjoying this podcast, why don't you check out our online courses? We've developed a series of three online courses designed specifically for photojournalists and documentary photographers. We discuss questions like, how do we achieve accuracy in our photographs? What's the relationship between power and consent? And when, if ever, should we intervene? These online courses come with perks like access to an online community group for discussion and Q&A opportunities with me, the course leader. Enroll today at www.photoethics.thinkific.com or go to www.photoethics.org and click online courses.